Welcome to the Podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled, Thanksgiving Spoilers, from our series, Grumpy to Grateful. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we're continuing our series from Grumpy to Grateful. Amen. Are you making the trip with me? Amen. How many of you needed to make the trip? Amen. Don't look at your spouse. Look right here. Okay? Look right here. Amen. Amen. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. How many of you started out good this morning, and by the time you got your kids to church, you needed to make the trip? Amen. Isn't that the truth? I mean, you ever notice the devil gets in the car with you on the way to church, right? <laughs> Just tries to mess up uh, your, your, your atmosphere and your, 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 your focus and your attention. Amen. Anything he can do on the way to church to get you all out of sorts. Amen. I, I'm, confession's good for the soul. We're having communion tonight. I'll go ahead and confess. I remember one Sunday morning when we pastored in Durant, Mississippi. It was the first Sunday of the month, so that means it was communion Sunday. And Shay and I had gotten into a really good one right before morning service. And we had driven in two separate vehicles, which was very unusual for us, which shows you just probably how bad it was. And she came, and I came in two cars. We lived a block and a half from the church. We didn't need a car at all, amen? But we weren't about to ride with one another. We were a little miffed at each other. We didn't fight, you understand? We had a moment of intense fellowship. That's what Christians have, moments of intense fellowship. Well, it was very intense that morning. And she got there, and she's upstairs getting ready to leave kids' church. And Sunday school starting, and I'm slipping to my office to look over my notes one more time for the morning message. And I remember, you know, we've got communion at the end of the service. And I thought, there is no way... You know, I'm going to be able to do this. I'm not about to lead a communion service that I can't participate in. Amen? And I didn't want to drink unworthily and bring judgment on myself, right? As the Bible warns us about in Corinthians. And so I went up to the stairs with my hat in hand and I met her on the landing. And I was on my way up as she was on her way down. And we met halfway on the staircase. And at the same time we said, I'm sorry. And we cried and we prayed and we forgave. And we both got to take communion that morning. Amen? Amen. But we had to make the trip that morning, not one and a half blocks, but the trip from grumpy to grateful. Amen. And how many of you know this is a trip some of us have to take pretty often? Well, I want to talk to you about what keeps us from that today. Amen. What are the barriers that keep us from gratitude? Why is living a thankful life so difficult? Why is the goal of living with grateful hearts so elusive for us? Why do we struggle in this area so badly? Why is complaining more natural than than giving thanks and expressing words of praise? Well, let's talk about three attitudes that roadblock us on the journey to gratitude this morning. Amen. If he, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 is our key verse today. Uh, go ahead and read it with me today. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 In everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I can't guarantee you what God's will is for where you live or where you work or even perhaps for which person you marry. But I want to tell you one thing that is always God's will for us is that our attitude be one of gratitude. Amen? In everything, give thanks. I'm thankful it didn't say for everything. Some things we would struggle to be thankful for. But in the midst of everything, we can still find something about which to be grateful to God. Amen? What hinders us from that today? Well, I believe there are three main obstacles to a thankful life. And the first one is forgetfulness. 
forgetfulness. We just don't pause to reflect and remember all the good things that God has done. Uh, One of my favorite passages about Thanksgiving, and and yours probably too, is Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, verse 2 says, and forget not all his benefits. And then the psalmist goes on to list those benefits for us. Amen? Judges chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, the Bible says, When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, that's a nice way of saying they had died, that generation had died, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work He had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, or the idols, the false gods. And so what happens whenever we're forgetful is not only do we lose something, but our children lose something in the process. You and I are called by God to be sure that we are talking about how good God's been, that we are recounting to others the goodness of the Lord. I read a moment ago from Psalm 145, one generation shall declare your works to another generation and shall speak of all your mighty acts. Are you speaking? of His mighty acts. Are you telling them? Are you telling your kids about the story of what God has done? Now, I think he has two things in view there. One, he's talking about the mighty acts of the Bible, the stories in God's Word. We ought to be telling the big story of what God has done. He rescued His people. He sent His Son, Jesus, who died and rose. He sent His Spirit and fills His church, and He's coming again. Those are the mighty acts of God, and we ought to be talking about them in our home. But I'm not only talking about the big story, I'm talking about our little story. Say the little story. You see, they can get the big story if in church, even if perhaps you're not as faithful in that. But do you know what? There are stories your kids will never hear about the goodness of God if you don't tell them because they're your stories. They're the stories about your family. They're the stories about what God's done in your house, how God's answered your prayers. Amen? There was an old spiritual that said, you can't tell it like I can what he's done for me. And I can't tell it like you can what he's done for you. We have a story to tell, and it's a personal story, amen? And in order to do that, number one, we ought to record our story, amen? Say record it. You and I ought to be recording our story in some way. You and I have a great heritage of God's faithfulness. And so we ought to do that. In the Old Testament, they had a practice called memorial stones. Whenever God would do something, they would stack up a pile of stones and pour oil on the top of those stones. And that monument became a reminder to the people of God of what God had done there. When God rolled back the waters of the Jordan River and Israel crossed on dry land, the Bible says one leader from each of the twelve tribes of Israel stepped into that dry riverbed and pulled out a rock and they piled up those twelve stones and they poured oil on top and every time the kids would ask the question, the Bible says in the book of Joshua chapter 4 verse 5 Joshua said, cross over over before the ark of the Lord into the midst of the Jordan and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of Israel that this may be a sign when your children ask in the time to come what do these stones mean then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan the waters of Jordan were cut off and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children
children of Israel. We ought to have some memorial stones, amen? We ought to be taking a journal and writing down the things that God has done. I shared last Sunday, one of our members, a very dear friend, shared with me that whenever they are in a difficult spot, they often open up a book, a journal, that they've kept of the faithfulness of God and how God has answered prayers. And that book can become a great record that refreshes our memory. And we don't have that if we don't write it down. And so keep up, literally count your blessings. Name them one by one, as the hymn writer says. That's a great way to do it. So we record our story. Amen. But secondly, we have to reflect on our story. Say reflect. We want to look back from time to time and think about how good God has been. Amen. We sing about it, but I don't know how often we really do it. We sing the chorus, when I think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he raised me, how he picked me up and turned me around. We sing songs like that. Think, of, think about the Lord. Think about his goodness. Think about his grace, how he brought us through. For as high as the heavens are above, so great is our Father's love. We sing, think about it, but do we think about it? If we don't carve out time, we won't think about it. I want to tell you the greatest commodity of our life today is probably not our money. It's probably our time and our energy. Because we are more strapped for those two things than anything else in life today. Everything clamors for our time and our attention. And if we don't carve out time in our daily lives to get alone with God and to put aside the technology and to get still and to just think about God's goodness, to reflect on what God's done, it'll never happen. Because we live in a world that is so distracting. Something is always trying to pull us away. There's, this thing is always lighting up or beeping or buzzing. We've got one sound for a text message and another sound for a message on Messenger. And it does something else if we get an email. And then right in the middle of the sermon, Chill Yogurt Shop will send me a notification that they've got $5 no-way deals going on today. Amen. I, I mean, it just happens to us. And so if we don't get deliberate and intentional about putting this thing somewhere where we can't hear it and getting 15, 30, 45 minutes alone with God throughout the day, then we won't think about it. So you've got to think about it. You've got to think about it. Reflect on it. Deuteronomy 5.15, he says this is why we have the Sabbath. This is why we stop one day out of seven. And remember, he says, and remember, say remember. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Now, you and I aren't strict Sabbatarians like the Jews in the Old Testament. We understand that pointed to Jesus. And yet, if we're not careful, we lose something valuable by not deliberately carving out and making this day different from the other six days that we labor and play. Amen? It's a time to stop and reflect on the goodness of God. So we record it and we reflect on our story. And number three, we recite our story. Tell it. One generation will declare your works to the next generation. We are to recite our story. We're to tell it to the people behind us. Tell your stories of faith and answered prayer to others who are discouraged. Share about God's faithfulness to your children and your grandchildren. Write it down and give a copy of your grandkids. Give a copy to your grandkids to read. Leave that behind so that when you pass this life, somebody has a written record of your goodness. Get one of your kids 
to take their cell phone and to video you if they have to and just tell the story about how God has brought you through so that they can have that to look back on whenever you're not here anymore. But tell your story. I love what Joshua said in that verse we read a moment ago. He says, so that when your children ask, you can say to them, this is what happened. This is what we saw. The waters of the river of Jordan were, were, were cut off and these stones are a memorial. We remember what God has done. We ought to be telling our stories. We ought to be telling our stories. I love riding to school with my kids in the morning or sitting with our kids at the supper table or tucking them into bed at night and the conversation turns to the things of God and they begin to ask questions. Dad, have you ever seen God heal anybody? Yeah. Son, I have seen God heal somebody. Let me tell you what I've witnessed in my life. Let me tell you what I've seen God do. Dad, we talk about those five loaves and two fish. Does God still provide for people like that? Son, let me tell you a story about how God provided for mom and dad when we were in a very tight place financially. Yes, God still provides for his people. Dad... People I see, you know, at church where the Spirit of God moved and, and, and the Spirit of God came and those gifts were operating. Dad, talk to me about that. Well, son, let me tell you about how the Lord led me into this experience of encountering God's Spirit and spiritual gifts beginning to operate in my life. Let me talk to you about how I was filled with the Holy Spirit. We've got a story to tell. And what I do on Sunday and what Shay does on Sunday is only supplemental to what you and I are supposed to be doing all week long the Bible didn't say, Joshua didn't say, bring them to the tabernacle and let the priest tell them. He said, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Open your mouth. Every family ought to have some stories that they tell. Every family ought to have some stones piled up in their lives where they can say, this is what God has done for us. God has brought us a mighty long way. These are our stories. This is why we trust God. Here's why we serve God. We have our own legacy of faith. Aren't you grateful today? We have a story to tell. Why do we not do it? Because we forget. We don't record it and reflect on it, and recite it to others. Forgetfulness leads us into great trouble. Forgetfulness can make us resentful when we look at others around us. The next trap for many of us that causes us not to live in gratitude is not forgetfulness, but comparison. Say that with me. Comparison. Amen. We compare. The Bible says those who compare themselves among themselves are not wise. Number one, it can let me off the hook too easily. If I'm judging how I'm doing by how you're doing, well, I may be doing better than you, amen? That's a false standard. I am to judge myself by the standard of the Lord Jesus, amen? And so that standard always keeps me reaching a little higher than I'm currently reaching, amen? So we don't compare ourselves to one another. We compare ourselves to the Lord Jesus. He's the standard. So it can lead us to a wrong conclusion about ourselves in that way. The other thing it can do is it can make us envious. When we look at one another, instead of being thankful for what God's done in our lives, we can get jealous of ours or we can get envious of someone else's. Jealous is when you're afraid somebody's going to get what belongs to you. Envious is when you wish you had what belongs to somebody else. Well, that's a bad attitude. Well, not only is it a bad attitude, the Bible said it is a sin. Do you remember? Thou shalt not covet anything that belongs to thy neighbor. Amen. 
We're commanded not to do this. This attitude, not only are we not to steal what belongs to them, we are not to desire and have the attitude that says, I deserve that more than they do. That very attitude is condemned in the Scripture. Comparison can get us into a lot of trouble. Amen? The story's told about a pilot who always looked down intently whenever they were flying over a certain valley in the Appalachians. One day his co-pilot said, what is so interesting about that spot to you? Every time we fly over, you look down on that spot. And he said, well, you know what? When I was a kid, I used to stand down there fishing with my dad and look up at the planes flying overhead. And I always wished that I was flying one of those planes over the valley. He said, and now I'm 45 years old and I look down because I wish I was standing down there fishing with my daddy. You know, comparison can get us into trouble, isn't it? Uh, We compare and all of a sudden we realize that sometimes the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And if it is, it's because it's over a septic tank, amen? (laughs) Or you can't afford the water bill, right? You know, the reality is the grass is greener where you water it. (laughs) And if we'll water our own field, it'll produce for us. And God can give us the grace to do that. We live in a world where we're constantly reminded of how our lives don't measure up to the world's definition of the good life. We're constantly taught to compare what we're experiencing to what we ought to be experiencing at this season of life. Advertisers, telemarketers, social media experts, they lead us to believe that what we've received is somehow less than adequate for our needs. We flip through a Better Homes and Gardens magazine and we become dissatisfied with our living room decor. We watch too many episodes of House Hunters, Property Brothers, or Fixer Upper, and we grow discontent with our homes. We scroll through our news feed on Facebook and Instagram, and we are taunted by our friends. Hashtag Family Vacay, an entire album of your neighbor's recent family cruise trip to the Bahamas. Hashtag My Man Loves Me, and there's the dozen roses that she received this week, right next to the flowers that she also received last week. Your husband didn't even remember your birthday, right? Hashtag blessed. Our brother brags about the new toy he bought with his tax refund this year. And you had to pay in and didn't get anything back, right? Yeah. If we're not careful, comparison can get us in a dark place. Theodore Roosevelt said comparison is the thief of joy. Say that with me. Comparison is the thief of joy. We can lose our joy by getting hung up on how our life doesn't measure up to what somebody else has. Instead of looking at what we have and being thankful for how God's blessed us. Not only does it steal our joy, it can land us in the grip of the green-eyed monster called envy. We grow jealous of our stuff, envious of others. We begin to sin by coveting their possessions or their spouse or their position in life. Honestly, this is how many people end up falling into sin. Couples lose their marriage and fall into adultery because of envy or coveting or comparison to someone else that they meet. Eventually, they reach across the neighbor's fence and begin to eat off their fig tree. Amen? Forgetfulness about all the good things we do and enjoy can lead to comparison. Comparison focuses our attention on what we don't have instead of what we do have. We're a lot like Eve in the garden. Eve is standing in a garden surrounded by hundreds of fruit trees 
full bloom. They, the, vine, the, the limbs are breaking with fresh fruit. Any direction she turns, she can reach and grab and pluck ripe fruit from the tree. She can satisfy her hunger with all the options that are around her. And yet the enemy is able to take her attention off all the hundreds of trees from which she may eat. And he focuses her attention down on the one tree that God said, do not eat of this one. And then the enemy takes that one tree and says, if God was good, he would let you have this. If God could be trusted, he wouldn't fence this one off from you. And isn't that how it gets? Comparison. We start focusing on what we lack instead of what we have. And our hearts go the wrong direction. And we begin to doubt God's love and we get in the dark place. Forgetfulness leads to comparison which leads to resentment. Resentment and envy feed into the last barrier I want to talk to you about this morning and that is one called entitlement. Say it with me. Entitlement. We forget how good God's been because we don't reflect on it and think back about it. Then we get envious of others because we compare ourselves to one another or someone that we think has it better off than we do. And then thirdly, entitlement. In his book, Gratitude Works, Robert Emmons said the biggest obstacle to gratitude is this one. It's entitlement. The bigger our sense of entitlement, the smaller our sense of gratitude. There's an inverse relationship there. Our entitlement mindset has led to a proliferation of lawsuits when we don't get something to go exactly like we want it to. We sue somebody. We live in the most litigious culture of our day. I moved from Mississippi. They said it was the most litigious state in the United States, meaning there were more lawsuits filed there than any other state in the Union. Isn't that amazing? We are lawsuit happy in this country. Amen? I, what kind of culture do we live in to where someone has to label a coffee cup warning? Contents may be hot. Well, they better be hot or I'm going to bring it back. Amen? It's a cup of coffee. <laughs> But that label is on there because someone sued McDonald's years ago because a hot cup of coffee spilled on them and they didn't warn them that the contents may be hot. Amen. That is the culture we live in. That's where we, that's where we abide. Uh, San Francisco Giants were sued for passing out Father's Day gifts to men only. So a group of women got together and filed a class action suit against the New York Giants, uh, the San Francisco Giants, for passing out Father's Day gifts to men. A psychology professor sued for sexual harassment because of the presence of mistletoe at a Christmas party. And that professor felt intimidated and harassed to kiss someone that she did not want to kiss. And she filed suit in court and won. A psychic was awarded $986,000 after a CT scan impaired her psychic abilities. Shouldn't she have seen that coming? I mean, just me. But If I was on the jury, she would have never won that one. Amen? I mean... <laughs> In a recent blog called Why Generation Why Yuppies Are Unhappy, don't throw hymnals at me, Tim Urban explains the link between expectations and happiness. When the reality of our life is better than we expected, we're happy. When life doesn't measure up to our expectations, we're unhappy. That tends to be the way life works. Most of the rising generation was brought up in homes where there were a great many luxuries that were taken for granted. 
They grew up not knowing what it was like to be absent these things. My parents grew up having to slowly acquire all these things. But by the time my generation and younger than me came along, we always had cable TV, air conditioning, lightning speed internet access, cell phones, laptops, and a new car at graduation. Now, I'm a little older than that. I didn't have all those things. There was no internet when I was in school. And uh, I certainly didn't get a new car. Well, I've never owned a new car. Let's just say it that way. Amen. I still don't own a new one. But that was the expectation that was set for them. They've always sort of lived in that culture. And so when they raised on a steady diet of that, it's hard to move beyond it. Add to that a culture where everybody gets a sticker and we get participation trophies even if our team didn't win a single game this year. Wow. And all of a sudden, we have raised up a group that feels entitled to things, whether they've earned those things or not. They've been told all their lives by their parents and their grandparents and their teachers to, uh, and even from a big purple dinosaur on PBS, you are special. You are special. My kids grew up singing it. You are special, special, everybody's special. Well, now, hold the train a minute. If everybody's special, then nobody's special, right? I mean, that word kind of loses its meaning at that point, right? I mean, we're all unique, but uh, special, better, greater, otherwise different from what is usual. By definition, while each one of us is unique, Most of us are probably not special. Most of us are probably average. Average. I know I just deflated your self-esteem. Amen. (laughs) What soon happens is we begin to fuse our rights and our privileges. We feel that we deserve better than average, better than the average person, and we begin to believe that the world owes us something. What's wrong with all this, Pastor? Yeah, we see this in our culture. I want to tell you what's wrong with it is it's rooted in pride. And pride is always dangerous. Pride is always damaging for us as believers. It's rooted in pride. And we take an inflated view of ourselves. We begin to fuse right, confuse rights with privileges. And we confuse ourselves about what we deserve and what we've earned. We're all born with a spiritual birth defect called a sinful nature. We have a crooked streak of self-interest that runs down through the middle of our hearts. And if that is left untreated by Jesus, it will fester into full-blown narcissism. The self-absorption of unsolved ambition and repressed anger that leads to a sense of entitlement and specialness. Christian theology has always regarded pride as the most dangerous of sins because it carries within itself the seed of all the other sins. Why do we sin? Why did Eve sin? Why do any of us sin? Because somewhere in our heart we believe the lie that I deserve the special privilege of reaching across the boundary line God has set for me. And I have extenuating circumstances that would, while it would be wrong for others to do it, It's okay for me to do it because I'm what? I'm special. No, you're proud. You're proud. That's what we are. We're filled with pride. We lack humility and we lack gratitude because we've forgotten our place. That God has the right to draw the boundary lines and tell us where we may not come. And we forget that God has surrounded us with many, many other good things that he did not have to give us. Our attention gets drawn the wrong way. The opposite of all this is the virtue of gratitude. And gratitude grows in the soil of humility. All the Christian virtues grow in the soil of humility. 
How can we break the cycle of forgetfulness, comparison, entitlement? Well, as I close today, let me give you some ideas about what we can do about this. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So you'll never get a new man until you get a new mind. You hear me? You'll never be a new man or woman until you change the way you think. Our approach to life has to change in our mind. The battle is between our ears. The Bible says in Romans 12 and 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may test and prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. In her book, Living in Gratitude, A Journey That Will Change Your Life, uh, Angelese Arian said, Let me give you four ideas. I found these to be very helpful this time of year. Instead of focusing on our difficulties or dwelling on our lack of uh, stuff or our unfulfilled hopes or desires, focus on four things instead. Number one, focus on your blessings. Say blessings. All of us have been blessed. We've been given things that we didn't earn, that we didn't deserve. Relearn the truth. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. But pastor, what about the things in life that haven't been good? What about the moments that have been very painful and difficult? Well... Number two, focus on your lessons. (laughs) Focus on your lessons. Do you know that hidden within every difficulty is some lesson that God wants to teach me? I've learned whenever I'm going through the fire, one of the prayers I pray, like all of us, is God get me out of this. Amen? (laughs) But when the Lord doesn't get me out of it, I've learned to pray a different prayer. Lord, let me hurry up and learn whatever it is you're trying to teach me. Amen? Because once I learn that lesson, oftentimes the trial ends. The test is over. But it keeps going until I learn the lesson. So I've learned to pray. Lord, what are you trying to teach me? Holy Spirit, what area of my character is deficient? What are you coming after in me that you see that you don't like? What is it about me that isn't like Christ? And you focused in on that. And you've turned up and you're bringing it to the surface. Amen? Lord, let me learn the lesson. Thank God for the lessons. Instead of relenting the past, rejoice in the wisdom you've gained, even through the tough times. Celebrate how your trials have formed you into a wiser, stronger, and more compassionate Christian. Most of us wouldn't repeat the trials of the past for anything. But if we're honest, a lot of us wouldn't trade them either. Because they made us into who we are today. So focus on your blessings and focus on your lessons. And number three, focus on your mercies. Say your mercies. You know what? As bad as it's been in your life, it's not as bad as it could have been in your life. God has spared us quite a few things. God's been better to us than we let on. God has spared us. Even in our sins and our shortcomings, we have been shown forgiveness by God and by other people. Some of us today ought to be thankful for that mercy and forgiveness. Remembering the times we've been shown mercy and undeserved grace helps us deal with bitterness and unforgiveness, which are the enemies of gratitude. But pastor, somebody really did me wrong, and I want to get them back. Remember how many times you've done wrong and other people didn't get you back. Mm. My pastor growing up told the sermon, he preached about the story of the man who was let down by four neighbors into the presence of Jesus. They tore a hole in the roof and let the man down and Jesus healed the man. And my pastor asked the question one day, he said, you know what, I wonder if anybody ever went back and fixed that man's roof. The Bible doesn't say, does it? Seth, I've never been able to read that story without thinking about the hole in the roof. I know that's not the point of the story. But it's a good question, isn't it? This man opened his house, let Jesus come preach and run a revival meeting. A man got healed, and everybody went home shouting. And that man laid down that night and looked up, and there's a big hole in his roof. 
Have you torn a hole in anybody's roof lately? <laughs> Have you said or done anything to somebody, maybe unwittingly, that was harmful and hurtful? You know what? We've all been shown some grace, and we all could stand to show some grace. Amen? Focus in on your blessings and your lessons and your mercies. And number four, focus on your protection. Say your protections. Instead of getting fixated on the good that we've been withheld, consider the evil that you've been spared. Oh, have mercy. When I think about all that God's done, I'm thankful. But when I think about all that God has kept me from, I, oh, I, I nearly shout every time. All that God has spared me from, all that could have happened that didn't happen to me. I don't know about you, but I've driven by Braille a few nights on the highway. There are nights that I would doze off and my car would go off on the edge of the road and God kept me alive and I'm here to this day to be with my family. I don't know how many times the Lord has kept me. Y'all never know how many times I was walking through Walmart with my family and I came within two aisles of someone who wanted to kidnap my children and do them harm and God God's angels made them turn left and I turned right and I missed them just in the nick of time and God spared my family. I'll never know how many times a drunk driver ran out of gas just before he met me on the interstate. I'll never know how many times God kept me from something like that. I'll never know. We've been spared. We've been protected. I'll never know how many times we prayed and went to the doctor and the doctor said it was nothing and it was something before we prayed and I never knew about that. I'll never know. I'll never know. God has been good to us. Focus on his, the blessings, the lessons, the mercies, the protections. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Would you stand with me all over the Lord's house this morning? This is God's will for us. I love to read the commentary of a man named Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry was a, a great Bible expositor, and many of you have his commentary sets in your, uh, in your library somewhere, and you study and read God's Word. Matthew Henry kept a journal as well as recording the Scripture. He recorded the events of his life. One night when he was traveling home in England, he was robbed. Someone actually came up to him and pulled a knife and took his wallet and took all his money. He went home that night and opened his Bible and his devotion was this very verse. In everything, give thanks. And he thought, now Lord, how am I going to do that tonight? That man drew a knife and took every dime that I had in my pocket. How can I be thankful tonight? He took his pen and he sat down with his journal. And in the quietness of the evening, he penned these words. Let me first be thankful because I've never been robbed before. Wow. Second, let me be thankful because although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Third, let me be thankful because although they took all I had, it was not very much. And number four, let me be thankful that it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed another. My friends... That's the attitude of gratitude. That's a man who's moved from grumpy to grateful. In everything, say it with me, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. <laughs> David said, forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities who heals all your diseases, who crowns you 
with loving kindness and tender mercies, who redeems your life from destruction, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. If God never did one kind thing for us after Calvary, Calvary ought to be enough to keep us praising Him for the rest of our days. Amen? The cross was enough reason to be thankful. Grateful people are those who recognize that they've been graced. The root word of gratitude is grace. We've been graced. And graced people are grateful people. Have you ever received the gift of God's mercy as forgiveness as eternal life? If not, you can. You can receive it today. How do you do that? You come, you buy your heart, and you say, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you've not dealt with me as I deserve to be dealt with. You've not punished me according to my sin or dealt with me according to my iniquity. But Lord Jesus, you hung on a cross and you bled and died in my place. You paid the price for my sin. And if you'll come this morning and repent of those sins, ask God to forgive you and turn your heart to go a different way, God will meet you here. He'll forgive you of your past. His grace will flow in your life. He'll give you a new heart, a new start. He'll make you a new person. And you can walk out of here knowing what it's like to be forgiven. Knowing that you have peace with God. Knowing that no matter what happens, God's with you and He's for you and He's going to carry you through it. And knowing that at the end of that, when it's all said and done, you'll live with Him forever in a place called heaven. Amen? That's the offer of the gospel. Have you received that? If not, you can. This morning as we close in prayer, Chad's going to lead us. We're going to sing uh, thanks and give praise to God. But if you need to pray, if you need to receive Christ, come slip down here. I'd love to meet you. One of our prayer team members would love to meet you and let you meet the Lord Jesus. If you've met him today, express your praise and your gratitude for how good God's been. Would you pray? Lord, you've been good and faithful. You've been kind and true. You have dealt with us. Lord, you've been better than we deserve. And we are thankful. We pray today that you would fill our hearts with gratitude and praise. And Lord, before we walk out the door today, let us once again lift our voice and say thank you for how good and faithful you've been. In Jesus' name, amen. The altar's open if you need to pray. Come and meet us here. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you were blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org, join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.